0: From the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's
1: the X's and Argos podcast.
0: Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by something in the water brewing. After the Argonauts take out the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for the second year in a row in TD Atlantic 31-13. My name is Ben Grant. He's JB. We're, we're sorry, first of all. We're coming to you a day late. We're, we're usually so good about getting our pods out the same day, our post-game reaction pods, but it just wasn't to be this time, JB. You were hours and hours ahead of me. I was on the wrong, the wrong ocean, the wrong coast, uh, and so it is the day after. Things have settled a bit. We may not be as off the cuff as as usual, having had time to digest this. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, before we get into the game, uh, let me tell you a little bit about something in the water brewing. I've got uh, next to me Longboat, uh, and it's nice to have Longboat back in my hands, and I can't wait to to consume this one here. Uh, Longboat, of course, if you don't know, is the uh, is the beer of the Double Blue. It was the fa- beer made for fans of the Double Blue? Uh, Something in the Water Brewing is located in Liberty Village, just steps away from the Argos practice facility, Lamport Stadium, and just steps away from BMO Field where the Argos play their home game. It's a great place to go before the game. I was talking to those guys before the season started and I was saying like, you know, I kind of feel like I should have a a beer for different occasions because obviously Longboat's a great celebratory beer. It's a great pregame beer. um, But I thought, you know, there are going to be some tough losses and you, you you need something to go along with that too. We have not had the occasion to do anything like that, so it's been longboat pale ale uh, for the last little while, which is fine by me because the Argos just keep winning, and so it's it's celebratory. So, JB, um, speaking of celebratory, you had you got to enjoy uh, uh, several days of festivities being out there in Halifax before we get into the game. Uh, how was the, how was the environment, the parties, the get-togethers, the the actual game itself, the mood, the stadium? Give me what you got
1: it was another resounding success um as good as wolfville uh, better in some ways i think there were more argo fans at this game than there were in wolfville uh it was terrific um i went down <laughs> as, as as people know i'm, I'm not necessarily uh, the public face of the podcast um so i went down to uh, an argos party uh, that was being hosted at a at a bar uh, in halifax and um, I was a little nervous because I don't really like socializing. Um, and it was amazing. Uh, I got to talk to all sorts of Argo fans, um, you know, that were all united by, by you know, from different ages and different backgrounds. Um, just united in having a good time and, and feeling confident about the game. There were certainly lots of Rider fans around Halifax. There were a lot of green shirts in, in every bar you went into. Um, but, uh, the party was fantastic. Uh, I got to meet a real celebrity, a real Argo celebrity, certainly not me. Uh, I got to talk to Lori, <laughs> um, which w- was amazing. And, you know, it was just talking to some fantastic people who were just so, so kind and so complimentary, um, you know, to the podcast, but also just wanted to talk Argos. It was, you know, really my honor. Um, to have the conversations that that I got to have with uh, just just the you know, the nicest um, smartest football fans that that you could ever run into. So it, uh, you know, made my week, I have to say, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, my conversation. And uh, then the game, the weather was predicted to be off all week. It was going to be thunderstorms. There's going to be a lot of rain. What were they going to do? And the weather held. Weather was perfect. It was blazing hot to begin. Um, but then it cooled down and uh, the crowd had a blast uh, a great competitive game. No issues. Logistically, everybody got in in time for kickoff. The stadium emptied in about 2.5 seconds at the end of the game. So, you know, logistically, hats off to everybody who organized that event, the pregame, um, you know, um, the party section, if you will. Uh, the tailgate section, you know, went really well. My friends were in the end zone, got high-fived by the Argos when they scored their touchdown. Um, the, the one takeaway is how awesome it was to be right on top of the field. I mean, the stands were right there. It was incredible um, how close we were to the action, and and the people in the end zone even more so. So, yeah, I hope uh, I hope it it translates into into a bit of traction in the city about getting some some games going. But um, you know, like I was giddy last year about the Wolfville experience, and uh, no different this year. It was an an absolute success. Uh, hats off.
0: Hats off to everybody who was involved because um it was terrific. They're so close to being like all you need to add is like if you add like four thousand seats, that's a complete like there's no reason why you can't have a fifteen thousand seat stadium. That's yeah. you know, and, and that would be beautiful there. No no parking issue. Honestly, it's it's
1: it's right there to be had. They just need to find, you know, an investor who has a connection to football and and you know, as I was talking about uh, at the party, um, you know, um, follow the BC game plan and look how somebody can take a team that's kind of going nowhere and turn it into a success. So they just need to find that that person who, who cares enough because the, the teams in the league that are successful have great single ownership. And you look at, bc and you look at hamilton those are rock solid franchises right now because the ownership is you know driven by somebody who's creative and wants it to work and uh, that's that's what halifax needs because you know it's not you know it's not a rich part of the country and every dollar is fought for and you have to fight hockey um for for people's attention so it's not a slam dunk, you know, we would need somebody to come in who who knew what they were doing about marketing. But I think if you if you played it right, you could you could strike oil with um, with the three um, Atlantic Canadian provinces, um, along with Nova Scotia um, in terms of making it a destination event you know so it was exciting i i I couldn't have been happier with how well it went and from everybody you know i didn't (laughs) pull people but certainly the dynamic in the stadium was that people had a blast
0: and in terms of like locals people were aware the event was going on it wasn't like like what they were playing football here today a little bit i mean i'll be honest it was um
1: you know i mean I, i i don't think I think it's hard to to advertise um, too much. I think also because the game sold out relatively quickly because right. of the Ryder fans, so the need to sort of inundate with advertising sort of dissipated a little. And to be honest, you know, because of whatever reasons, they you know the teams did not come in early, did not make a sort of a week of it the way they did last year. That that would have upped it if there had been some grand parade events, if there had been you know, some kind of, you know, any kind of interesting, creative things. I, I felt that was, you know, that was that was too bad that that wasn't possible. But, you know, other than that, um, they have to, you know, I don't think Saskatchewan is very happy and may never want to come back to Nova Scotia. But, uh, you know, the Argos looked uh, over the moon and then the guys eating the lobster roll, it looked like, at the end <laughs> of the game, sort of a la John Madden, um, yeah, that was you know, awesome. TSN, crushed it with their with their uh, broadcast you know they brought lots of cameras it was very professional looking it d- didn't look like you know a football game being played in a you know at a random stadium which which it could you know it's not a professional stadium and uh you know i just thought the whole the whole presentation the whole event was was amazing i mean honestly i <laughs> i would i'd complain if i could <laughs> um but you know i can't it was it was fantastic
0: and i love that the like the tsn guys get uh around as well like they they go out and they socialize and they interact with fans i think that's really cool when the panel travels they're great about that uh, you know whether it's it's uh kate or or uh or matt or 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 shinetti or any of those guys they're they're interacting and they're um socializing with with everybody that wants to talk uh, cfl so i think that's kind of cool and i know um I know a lot of the Argos fans that went down uh, were excited to be able to uh, interact and talk with other Riders fans, with the TSN group, with the, with each other. Um, so it's it's cool that you got to be part of that contingent. I was I was definitely felt like I was missing out as as I was I was actually on a ferry for most of the game, and then uh, we. Uh, we came in you know, right at the end and I kind of had to go back and, and watching and not, not seeing it live. It was not uh, the same energy, obviously, that you got to experience it through. So let's go through the game a little bit, maybe not chronologically, but some of the, the highs and lows and interesting moments. First of all, the Argos, like it's fair to say they dominated this game, right? Like 31-13, but 10 of those rider points came in the fourth quarter. Was this, is this a dominant Argos win? Uh yeah, it I mean it it It. it went by
1: the playbook. It felt like um I mean it felt it felt competitive, which was good. Like it, it it didn't feel like a blowout, but it felt like the Argos were the better team, especially defensively. Um they just had no answer for the Argos defensively. And um, you know, and then it just sort of squeezed the air out of the ball in that second half. There was it looked like there might have been some life and and but I will say though it's a perfect example of that old coach's line about three plays being the difference um if if they catch that ball in the end zone instead of dropping it if they don't fumble on the one yard line um you know and if if they're able to um not allow a kick return uh, touchdown it's a totally different game I mean just three plays. So yes, it was dominant, but
0: um, er- everything went the Argos' way. Because one of my takeaways was that I think I think Saskatchewan's a really good football team. Like yeah. their their defense was super tough. Yeah. And no, I mean it, you take away those three things, and
1: it, you know, but that's that's the difference against a fantastic team like the Argonauts. You you can't have three mistakes.
0: Cause you look at like the stats are the weirdest of all the games so far this season. Because Very so, weird. Because Saskatchewan, like Toronto's defense, Toronto's secondary I thought was phenomenal. Yeah. And they yet, gave up four hundred yards. I know. They gave up 400, 400, 400 yards, yards passing. I know. But it's Bonkers. but it was all it was all like eight yard passes. Like, a lot of them yeah. were. Yeah, I mean that's true. Like I
1: it's it's certainly padded by um, you know, when they were up and they were basically just playing keep people in front and a couple of times guys broke free and and racked up some yak um and you know we we're, were able to boost that and then some somehow Dol Gala came in and decided to be uh,
0: John Elway um which was he, unexpected. He is though, like in a small sample size. Like he's Jake DelaGalla is the prototypical quarterback in almost every way until you get him into a game scenario where a team is prepped for him, and yeah, then he. But he's, he's the perfect
1: guy to bring. Yeah, he came in and,
0: um, you know,
1: threw the rock like you know. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. You know, it, I mean, I know my friends who watched the game were you know really frustrated. They were you know looking for a competitive game, really frustrated that uh, Saskatchewan didn't take more deep shots because it's you know they just weren't they just weren't getting any running action going and you know that underneath game you know guys were getting crushed uh but the, you know they didn't have time to get deep shots the defensive line i mean i love you know i loved um you know having uh having brinkman and, and cn power on the field at the same time and or you know being dressed together uh defensively the the argos were just ferocious um but you're, you're, you are correct. It was a very weird game in that the score looks like a huge blowout, but I was really impressed. I thought Saskatchewan um, played well and certainly played defensively much better than than any, any team has the
0: Argos this year. And I think, well, let's go back to talk for a second about the, uh, well, there's a few things you brought up there, but let, let's talk about Brinkman, Oakman, and Hendricks. So we've been talking all year about finding a way to get those three American interior D linemen onto the onto arm the, dressed at the same game because you've had you had Brinkman uh, as a healthy scratch, I think for three games maybe. Hendricks was injured for one game and Oakman was a healthy scratch a couple times. And none of these three guys should ever be healthy scratches. Hendricks is one of the best defensive linemen in the league. Oakman and Brinkman are not far behind him. The only reason they're, they're scratched, is nothing to do with skill. Like they're they're really good players it's just how many Americans can you dress at, at the same positional group and so the way they found to do it it seemed to me there were going to be two options this week option one which I kind of thought they'd do and they didn't Jordan Williams was back healthy I thought they might sit Jonathan Jones who's been playing for for Jordan Williams essentially they kind of moved really it's kind of been McManus who slid over and played in that spot but whatever it's you would have sat Jonathan Jones and then that would have enabled you to address an extra D lineman, American D lineman. They didn't do that, though. And in fact, Jones played the majority of the snaps. So we didn't really see Williams out there much at all. Instead, they sat Tavares McFadden and went really light at DB. There are some risks to that, though, because as we saw briefly, Deshaun Amos went down with an injury very briefly. And in that time, Jonathan Edouard came in to play halfback. And that's that's really not... You know, just like when he came in for Darius Pickett a few games ago, he came in here for Deshaun Amos. I, I just think there's a bigger drop off there than if McFadden is dressed. then what they would have done instead is they would have slid, uh, probably would have slid Quantas Stiggers over to halfback and McFadden would have gone in at corner. And I think there's not too much drop off there at all. So... I'm kind of surprised they went this route and dressed so few DBs, but I'm glad they found a way to do it. I just, I'd like to find a way to do it that doesn't make me as nervous if guys start falling, because I think you've got linebackers. Like you've got you've got Hoyt, you've got Kassar, you've got guys that can fill in um, and you don't feel like, okay, now we're in real trouble here. Whereas I, I don't feel as confident uh, where the secondary is right now if you're just not dressing any backups anywhere, but at safety so i don't know your thought on that but worth yeah, getting I mean, those three guys i think it's probably a game-by-game game decision
1: depending on you know what you're looking at what you think you know what you think your pressure points are and i i think they felt that they could get after the quarterback and that if they could that that would um you know be be a, de- a decider i you know I, I i like it i agree it's a brisk but that's the nature of the CFL rules. Sometimes, you know, I would rather them run the occasional risk than play it safe and not have uh, a game specific best possible lineup.
0: Yeah. And and they do seem to do that. (laughs) There there were, and let's talk about Saskatchewan not going downfield deep because it looked to me, and again, I hate not being in the stadium because it's so much harder to tell on the, on the TV broadcast. And this is one then, um, if you've missed a few episodes, you didn't. You don't know what we're talking about. I was uh, out in BC for my sister's wedding, and so uh, I didn't do the. I didn't get a chance to do the radio call this week. Bob Bronk was filling in for me on on TSN Radio, uh, and and so I'm just stuck with the the regular TV angle, and it looked like. The coverage was playing way off, that the DBs were just sort of sitting back and they were essentially saying, kind of like we talked about before, if you want to take eight yard passes all day long, great, we will let you take those. But then every so often someone would poach, would pinch, someone would play a robber role or disguise their, their flats coverage. And that's where you got a couple of interceptions. Uh, and and actually, one of them, the I think it was the I think it was the Robertson Daniel interception was because they dropped Flo Romolade into coverage on that. They ran like a fire zone. They blitz five, Flo, who's off the left edge, drops into coverage, which then allows Robertson Daniel to to roll, and he rolled to center field and undercut that that post route that was intended for for Sean Bain. And I thought that was really clever. But for the most part. They're sitting back. And if you, if you're going to throw deep against that, it's going to get picked. And so you have to just live with trying to put 10 play drives together and get down the field that way or run. And they couldn't run successfully because that, that Argo front five, six were so good at shutting it down. And that starts with Brinkman and Hendricks and, and Oakman. Those guys were, they were animals in there. So it just made it really tough for Saskatchewan. So you look at the yards, like 400 yards passing, but. What's not there are the rushing yards. You had uh, Morrow with 41 yards and half of that came on one run that where he got free. But other than that, there was just nothing in the ground game. And you in three down football, you can't you just can't string drives together where where you have to, because as soon as you get one incomplete pass, well, you're you're punting. So I thought it was smart from from Corey Mace. Yeah,
1: the line and and the line, you know, racked up their sacks and not not in a blowout style, but really when they were needed where, you know, Saskatchewan was driving, it looked like they were going to get into the red zone. It looked like they were going to put something together. And then immediately when that sense was happening, you know, they unleashed hell and drove them back 12 yards. Out of you know, out of field goal territory. I know, territory. <laughs> I know. It was like I mean, back, it, was, I mean sacks. it was amazing. There was a you know, uh, Oakman had a sack lying on the ground. Yeah, because you know? he's
0: so long. He was he uh, was on the ground, yeah. and from the TV angle, it looked like Fine was like seven feet away from him, which he probably was. <laughs> and Oakman just like somehow tripped no, him from it was, there.
1: It was amazing. I mean, honestly, it was being so close to the game in, in this stadium, like to sort of really almost like you know, high school, like, like, I mean, you're, we were closer than we were in Guelph. Like yeah. we were right on top of them. Um, and you could just see the speed and, and power of, of that defensive line, um, you know, is is really what, what made the difference. Cause I thought Mason fine played,
0: played pretty well. Yeah, um, he's, it's just, he's, he was, all right. he, he was running for his life. Yeah. He had no time. He had no, and he got hit so no, hard. I mean,
1: he, he made some really nice, um, like seam throws, you know, like, I mean, he, he's got, he, I was pretty impressed actually. I thought he was, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was, um, good, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't think Saskatchewan, like the, I know Saskatchewan fans I'm sure are are frustrated <laughs> by like just getting what, what felt like a blowout and I think was in, in many ways, but I, I think the, the team is all right. Like I, I don't, I think I would actually be excited about a few things if I were Saskatchewan. I know it's tough to take that away and it sounds patronizing, but that's not how I mean that. I do think there's some real stuff to build on for the riders. So, um it, and I think it was a really nice test for for the Argos too because they actually made Toronto's offense look pretty normal. You look oh, at yeah. some of those some of those numbers like Chad Kelly 122 yards passing. Uh, yeah, one, I mean, one touchdown, one pick. I, you know, it felt watching um you know there were a couple of
1: um, it wasn't out of control. There were a couple of penalties, a couple of drive-killing penalties. Um, there was not a lot of space for the receivers. Um, I, I felt like it was kind of 50-50 in some ways. It, it felt like there were some tough catches that maybe could have been made that that would have helped. But also, Chad didn't feel on. You know, he, he led a guy too far early, which would have been a touchdown, or a couple of rocket balls that were, you know, like if you're going to throw a rocket ball it's got to be perfect you know it's really tough to ask a receiver to adjust to a rocket ball um but he had to because the defense was right there so you know i thought that that saskatchewan definitely had a you know was was able it, it felt like they ran blitz the whole game <laughs> yeah. you know just just shooting gaps just like okay we're gonna bring six guys and we're gonna fill every gap and let's see a run now so it it felt that way, and you know, and then the run blitz you know kind of worked because they they were chasing Chad too you know he did he didn't get sacked a lot, but he he didn't have time to let plays develop um you know they were they were all over the Argo's
0: offense the offense really never uh got it going the whole game. I thought there were two things that contributed to that, and maybe you can tell me what what you felt just sort of being there in the stadium but I feel like not having DeMonte Coxie out there was uh, surprisingly a big deal. Now I say surprisingly, not to no nothing against against Coxie, but it's not like Coxie has been a long-standing CFL star. He's had some really good games this year, and so I, I didn't really think of the loss of Coxie as being one that was going to be really difficult for Chad to overcome. But it did seem like that. Jeremiah Hedel was in for Coxie and was only targeted once. And I think that was the ball that was picked. I think, I yeah, think Hidel had a go route and didn't, Chad... Didn't fight great for that ball. Right. Chad back-shouldered it, but it didn't seem like uh, like Hidel was on the same page, didn't know it was coming, got picked. And then that was it. He didn't go back to him again. That was like a silly no. ball. And it's tough. If that's your X receiver. You can't, you can't, it's it's so tough. Like that should be the guy that's getting the most targets at, at X or or W, like DeVar's spot. And then a couple of balls, too. There's one that DeVaris, it would have been a really tough catch, but we've seen DeVaris make it again and again. It was pretty early in the game. He would have had to catch it and then, like, ricochet off the safety and then go to ground at, like, the two-yard line. And it was just one of those that we've seen him make that catch so many times. And you just kind of take for granted that he will. Right.
1: I think that was, you know, that because it's been true. There have been games where, um, you know, the receivers have made – four or five really spectacular catches. And so, like, the stats look really good. But but you're like, hey, the receivers are, are, you know, these are not necessarily perfect balls that they're bringing down. So that, I think that's what happened. I think the, the odds evened out a little bit. And those those really tough um, contested
0: balls just, um, they, they just couldn't bring in. And any concern in the running game? Like, it, it they still end up with, like, 90 yards rushing. So it's not like uh, they Harris couldn't does, run. I thought Harrison looked look he looks spry. Can we, um, let's talk about Harris for a couple of seconds. Because first of all, we, we can't not uh, acknowledge Harris's uh, record setting day. So he moved into fifth all time in CFL rushing, which is impressive uh, passing his own childhood hero. I think that's, that's a really cool moment. And so, and and after the game, I think Chad Kelly in his post game press conference referred to Andrew Harris as the, the, the best CFL running back. Um, and, uh, and I think I think there was sort of a, I think what he meant by that was like a greatest of all time kind of thing. And so uh, I thought, you know, looking back at Harris's numbers, just going over some of his stats, it, it is pretty unbelievable what Andrew Harris has done in his career. And so that needs to be said. And he looked really good running the ball. It looked like Saskatchewan wasn't really ready for the punishment. They were ready for Olet. But it seemed like when Harris was out there, it's like, OK, well, we can take a breath for a second. And he just punished them for thinking that he ended up with, uh, I think he was I think he was the leading rusher. Yeah, seven carries for 41 yards, um, which yeah, it's I, a modest day, but he, he ran well. No, I, I mean, it, it felt like they were like they just, like I said, it felt like they
1: run blitz a lot. And it was just, you know, I mean, that's the nature of a lead. Like, you know, he, he has to get going. And there were just guys in the backfield. You know, before before anything could really get going, a couple times he got a bit of momentum and he punished some guys. But just a lot of times it was, um, you know, it was a meeting in the backfield and just just no room to uh, to to turn it on. But you know, I think that's that's okay. Now what will be interesting will be you know teams are going to study this film, and anytime a, a defense has a great game against you, that's going to be a book. So. I think the next game will be really interesting to see if if another team is able to uh to duplicate that
0: for sure they will like calgary coming up next is gonna look at saskatchewan and say okay this was the most success any defense has had Against the Argonauts, let's see. Let's see what what we can like. How we can repeat that, but also improve upon it. Test uh, Chad and and yeah, AJ it looks like maybe you know maybe more. Uh, we will, we don't get into
1: OCDC, We'll leave that. <laughs> I won't step on OCDC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll
0: we'll we'll deal with that during the week. Yeah, yeah. Um, the. Now, one thing that drove me up the wall—I don't know if it did you—probably not, just because we're usually on different pages here. And <laughs> I, I apologize if this was for some reason, and I just didn't know about it—a tribute, or or there was some sort of rationale to it, and I'm just you know getting mad at something that was supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a something special or something significant. But Andrew Harris was not wearing socks. I wrote about this on Three Down Nation in my thoughts, my post game thoughts that got me i couldn't even watch the game for a while because he was wearing no socks
1: we are definitely on different pages that didn't like that
0: you didn't even notice did you no he's I, i don't i don't know i don't know their numbers and I don't notice their socks. <laughs> You're not knowing their numbers still, like is like baffling to me. Like, and this is not just, and you know, for the, those that don't know JB well, <laughs> which is probably most of you, um, this is not just an Argos thing. JB doesn't know his own players' numbers. Uh, has no idea who anyone no. is. Um, and the the teams that he's followed, uh, I think I think you probably know like you know three people's numbers in professional football. That's just how you maybe. are. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe. It, but I don't. I do not see. The numbers i certainly do not see socks
1: <laughs> it's um, such a
0: it's such an easy market. why i hate it's not so i am being old school football coach a little bit here but it's not because i'm like you know wear your uniform son i like that i do believe in that but this is more about being able to quickly identify players like i love to as a coach if a player that i'm trying to track is wearing like fluorescent yellow cleats that's great. I love that. I, I love when another team's best player or player that indicates uh, a shift or or a different personnel package is wearing something that clearly identifies them because it's so easy to keep track of. You're like, oh yeah, anytime yellow shoes is out here, yeah, we got to do this, and and you know they spend time on it. Like there's a reason at practice they they wear uh, pennies with the opposing team's numbers on them because they're looking, okay, when 45's out here, we do this. When 45 lines up here, we do this. That's part of the strategy that week. And so if you're going to make it easy by being the only guy not wearing socks, it's so simple to be like, you're trying to keep track of where Harris goes. If he's, if he's at all a key for you and he's not wearing socks, it's not like they wouldn't have found him anyway. It's Andrew Harris, but it makes it that much easier. It's like, hey, there's no socks. <laughs> um, So that mm-hmm. just, that I I... I was so I was so annoyed about that, but again, maybe it was it was something special, and I didn't know. And now I'm complaining heartlessly about something else. So I apologize if that's the case, but I haven't heard anything like that yet. So just makes me mad instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, receivers, nobody stepped up. This is the only game where there wasn't a receiver that like came to dominate we've seen coxie do it we've seen devires do it curly had his game last week Ungerer had a game against montreal nobody today today nobody yesterday they they just
1: weren't they just weren't on the same page the whole game it was uh it felt like um you know that uh uh chad was under pressure a lot you know he had to get rid of the ball quickly um guys were not getting tons of separation um and there were some contested balls um you know that just tough catches that that, that they didn't come down with and uh you know the offense is as you know is such a streaky kind of vibe feel like you kind of just get into it and you feel it and they just were disjointed from the beginning and couldn't couldn't find a way even on the touchdown with all the quick quick hitters you know they just sort of quick hit their way into the end zone um you know like madden when you find a play that works really well you do it four times in a row um yeah it was it wasn't a
0: great day for the wide receivers but you know they were due they were due for a down day and the defense picked them up yeah let's talk about that defense a little bit they the defense bailed out the offense uh, on a couple occasions they had a pick six, which obviously helps. They also created a fumble an inch from the goal line. It looked like yep. I didn't. I didn't see a great angle of where that ball came out, but it, it no, must have I been. I think they just. Yeah, I think it was sort of un. Once they ruled that on the field, I think they were just sort of stuck in it. See it, yeah, like and it looked like Pickett made a heck of a play. Like I think Flow held him up. And then Pickett came in, and while sort of like shouldering him to the ground, punched out the ball, I believe. And the Argos were able to yeah. recover. No, that it, was, was it was just heads fantastic. up football. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, it was defensive day, one hundred percent. You could, you know, there it there were a lot of two and
0: outs. And let's uh, sing um, some praises for for Mickey Donovan too. His special teams unit had a great day. They not only had fantastic. the punt return touchdown. Uh, they they played really well. Like the concern, one of the concerns came in. We talked about like you, you can't you can't let Mario Alford dominate the game, and he was not invisible. Like he played fine. No, but, they were all over him. Yeah, like
1: fantastic, they, fantastic uh, coverage. You know, great kick coverage. Um, you know, BD was ice the whole game. You know, just piping the field goals and uh, and then leak. Looked like, I mean, you know, he looked like the best returner in the league, not Alfred. Um, yeah, hats off to the special teams because they absolutely
0: pinned in. Uh, really, who had been the best returner in the league? I want to uh, again. This is something that I wrote on my in my three donation article, but I just want to talk about it on this pod too because I thought it was such a funny moment when Lee caught that punt, the one that he returned for a touchdown there was space on his left and it was clearly a return right like they had it was like an almost like an old school yep. like wall right that every high school team ever ran but but it must have been so tempting when he caught that ball just to go left because there was space he probably could have got 15 20 yards going left but the return was designed to the right and I know you and I have sat at practice and we've seen we've seen over the years going you know and this going back to um going back to like coach Nelson for example too running special teams Return. There's nothing special teams coaches hate more than when a returner does not follow his path. When it's a return right, and the returner is instead of like, "But look what I got here," and then takes off to the left, and I could almost hear Mickey Donovan yelling in in Javon League's head uh, as he caught that ball. Like, follow your blocks, go right, because it wasn't an easy path to get no. right. He actually had, because I don't think there was actually really good blocking initially on that. The Gunners weren't slowed down at all. They had already formed a halo, so Leak had to backtrack to be able to get right. And then he broke a tackle as well, and there were all his blockers waiting for him on the right, and then the rest was was just, yeah. you know, dancing and, I mean, the and it
1: shows what, like, how he is in that he's not, you know, twitchy in the way Alford is in that kind of, like, sprinter first three steps, you know, he's gone um you know, but if you give leak five steps his second gear is elite and if he gets in the third gear there's not a guy in the field who's gonna catch him
0: yeah yeah we you saw know? we saw and, that with the and last you one. see that
1: like like he does have elite return speed it just <laughs> it's a different type of return um you know because it takes a couple steps for him to get going but once he gets going uh his his top speed is is amazing so that's really the key for them is he actually is a guy who should reverse field because you give him five, six, seven steps unblocked, you know, without conflict or contact. Uh, he actually can reverse field, which is even with blocking, um, you know, usually an absolute no, no in returning. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to run backwards typically, but he had to in order yeah, to get and he to has his blocks. To, and he had yeah. that gear. He just put it into it. and Yeah. No, it was, uh, he was, and it was, and he was all day. He was a weapon all day. It wasn't just like one kind of fluke return. He he was on fire all day. He you know giving them fantastic field position, and uh, he
0: was yeah, he was really the you know I thought it by I thought it was by far his best game as an Argo. Yeah, I think so too. The the one uh, actually, my favorite return of his wasn't the touchdown. It was the one where he came up the left side, and it was a it was really squeezed in. It was a beautiful punt, pinned him right to the sideline, and there was this, this little like gauntlet course that he had to navigate. Uh, up the left sideline and and somehow he maintained his speed while um while breaking tackles and dodging tacklers yeah
1: he averaged he averaged 29 yards a return 29 (laughs) remember we used to argue you know i'd be like oh god they can't even get the five halo 29 and with six you know that's not two kicks so like that's that is spectacular
0: and they the full did not have, special teams. Yeah, because they uh, was perfect. He was, I guess, five for five if you include field goals and PATs. Um Haggerty didn't try to punt the ball out of the stadium, which I guess is a tactical move, trying not to give too much run up to Mario Alford, but he, he punted conservatively but effectively. And so yeah, I you don't, want, you don't want to
1: outkick the coverage, right? Especially with Alford. Right. Is if he sees a lane. He is, you know, he is so elusive, he, you know, he can, he can just slide through. No, I thought that that was really smart as well. There was a little bit of wind, a uh, little bit of wind, kind of gusty, not, so there were a couple times where kicks went a little deeper than, than you would hope, but uh, the coverage teams were. You know, clearly they had focused on it. Clearly, they took pride in identifying this as Saskatchewan's primary weapon, and and they absolutely um, came out and dominated.
0: Yeah, that was the it was the key to the the game for us coming into yep. this. Was like, don't give them free points. No, no pick sixes, no special teams touchdowns, and instead it was the Argos with pick sixes yeah, no, and never, special it teams, never teams really touchdowns. To me. Yeah, no. So that's you know, it was it was great to see though, because again, a day where the offense doesn't look dominant defense pulls their weight, special teams more than pulls their weight um yeah great great game all around um a little bit of history set too, because the Argos now at six and o have matched a franchise record for the best start in the one hundred and fifty year history of the Argos six and O to start the season uh is now the uh has them tied for the record with the nineteen thirty five and nineteen twenty one teams and they have a chance to um set that mark at 7-0, franchise best uh, this week against Calgary in Calgary. So that'll be a tough one for sure. But uh, yeah, it's it's certainly possible. And I think the offense is going to bounce back. I I do think we'll probably see Coase back. We'll see what, what happens with that. I haven't really gone over the injury status. But on the topic of injuries, one thing you and I have ranted about Got me so upset again. I don't know if you noticed it or not, because the, the TVs barely did. I don't know if you noticed it in stadium. The point after on Saskatchewan's touchdown, this is the Jake Dolagala touchdown. I think it was their only touchdown, right? Yeah, their only yeah. touchdown. The on, the on the point after, Darius Pickett was down for a little bit. I think he's fine. I don't think it was anything to worry about. But they actually did have to stop play for him to be... Um, uh, to, to, for him to to be addressed, uh, and it actually shows up in the in the in the playlist on the on the game sheet, um, and I went back and looked at that play, and he's lined up in a three point stance trying to block the point after, and he gets sort of thrown to the ground by an offensive lineman, and I just think like we've talked about not wanting Adarius Pickett on special teams. We know like obviously he has to be on some. We get it. Numbers wise, Adarius Pickett is one of the best special teams players on the team. Everyone's got to play, especially DBs, linebackers. They're going to have to play special teams. He can't be on all of them. And I can't, you cannot have him lining up in a three-point stance trying to block an extra point. That that cannot be pick, Darius Pickett's job. Because, again, that probably, it didn't stop my heart at the moment because I didn't notice it until after the fact. But, um, yeah, that's just another reason to just find find teams he can play on. Don't have him blocking field goals and extra points. JB, let's get to our players of the game and our plays of the game. So, uh, where are you going for player of the game? Who is your player of the game? Um, yeah, there was, you know, I mean, I think
1: I often will go defensively. So, like, um, you know, uh, McManus obviously was was fantastic, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I I thought um, Hendricks played a monster game. Again, he's it's it's not flashy stuff, but he's so good. Like, he's just such a good defensive lineman. Um, but I'm going to go with the man of the hour. I, I have to give it to Juwan Leek. I thought he, thought he, you know, he changed the momentum of that first half. If he doesn't score that touchdown, it, you know, it doesn't stretch the lead out into something that feels a little more intimidating than it was. Um, he, he gave the Argos great starting position all game. Uh, Javon Leak was was I thought the the best player on on the
0: offense for for the Argos. Yeah, I, I know he was he was unbelievable and uh, such a weapon in this game. I, I am gonna go myself with Wyndon McManus. I'm curious to see. There's a couple guys whose PFF grade I'm curious to see, and he's one of them. I thought he played a sensational game. And he they was blitzed moved- him. Yeah, he blitzed off the edge quite a few times. Yeah, he came up the middle it. a couple oh of times. Oh my god. Loves it. He hit Mason Fine so hard. He actually had two <laughs> sacks. They in the stat sheet they only gave him credit for one. But he had two sacks. One where he came around the edge and sort of threw Fine to the ground. The other one, he came up the middle and just <laughs> annihilated leveled him. Just, leveled him. I know. Just just hit him um, you know, so on the uh, you know, yeah, it just really hit him so hard, and he almost had a pick uh, in there as well. Um, he dropped back yeah. at coverage nicely. Like he had he, eight he, tackles, he was all oh, over yeah. the field. Yeah, yeah, led the team, led the team, led both teams in tackles with with eight. Yeah, um, he, was, he was he was ready for that game. It was it was awesome to watch. Yeah, so that's he's my player of the game, um, and yeah, like you said, shout out to Hendricks. His stats are never there. We we've got to make sure we we have to do our part in making sure he is recognized as an all-star because i do think hendricks is one of the best defensive tackles in the entire league he makes guards miss without even being able to touch him brinkman did a bit of that too which is also impressive but yeah if you you
1: just unleashed hendricks and just made him a pass rusher um he
0: he like i think he, he could be one of those you know 12 15 sack guys yeah, no, he is. He would have huge numbers, but he's doing. He's got a different job, and that's yeah. not really the way they use him. But yeah, he's so hard to block, and he gets double teamed a ton, uh, which opens up the other guys too. So the stats won't be there. So that's the, it's the reason that he, you know, he unfortunately, I, I don't think he will be an all star. I know should be the all the
1: all sack team.
0: Yeah, you you look at sack numbers <laughs> Sacks at, for linemen and, D, and, and right. interceptions for DBs. But that's why like, I'm interested to see his PFF grade as well, because uh, like, I would have had that super high just looking at him play by play. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, what is your play of the game? Uh, Well, I went Leak already. Uh, you know what I thought was the
1: play of the game for me? He was in the fourth quarter, and Saskatchewan uh, th- 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 was pushing a little. Um, and it felt like they were trying to get back into it and they kicked a field goal and Toronto looked like they were going to go two and out again. It it just didn't look like it was together. And um, Cam Phillips made this amazing catch over the middle, like a a low throw was kind of a contested catch. And it was enough to keep a drive alive that ended up being a field goal. And then that was basically it. You know, when they went back up, um, you know, two scores and, you know, the pick at the end was sort of the gravy, but I thought that Cam Phillips play in the fourth quarter, about 10 minutes left, um, was the, you know, if, if they give the ball up there, it, it gets way dicier in those last 10 minutes. So I, I thought that was a really big catch.
0: And I think i'm gonna go mine's gonna sound so much more like it usually does my my play was a little more showy. Yours is more artistic um like <laughs> Ken Phillips had a had a decent game, he was targeted six times four catches for thirty eight you know it's a good game, but that was a sensational catch. It was a big moment uh, i'm going I'm going with the pick six, which I know is not a subtle uh play of the game, nope. but I just thought it was so beautifully done. Mason Fine had no idea, no idea at all that Deshaun Amos had flats on that play. They disguised it so well, 100% he thought Pickett had flats and that his receiver who was running an out route had a couple steps on Pickett, but he was being baited. And it was Deshaun Amos holding his ground, but he was planted. You watch the replays. He's planted, ready to explode forward Is the only direction he was ever going to go. But he's trying to make it, he's just kind of blending into the coverage as everyone's like backing out. Um, and he explodes on that and making it even more difficult for Fine is Sean Oakman. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Sean Oakman oh my hit Fine so oof. hard on that play. That was, I, I, I think it knocked him out of the game. Like, I do you think, think uh, yeah. It's, that was it's, like, Dolabella yeah, I mean, came in after that.
1: They, like, he basically like picked him up off the field. Like, oh. kind of like, are you okay, man? Like, oh. oof
0: it was a clean hit but it yep. was just so like oakman oakman shed his block so fast and he's got a great explosion coming off the line and he just accelerated into fine hit him right as he released the yeah. ball
1: oakman oakman was on fire today too he really yeah um you know i know clearly he wants to be on the field every game and uh he,
0: he should be but that's he, the problem they all should be
1: yeah no i, I get the math of it but you know, he, he definitely like a guy who was who was going to make that conversation a much harder one to
0: have. For sure. And, but, and but then you look at like, look at the very first uh, play from scrimmage for Saskatchewan. Brinkman's guard doesn't touch him. Jared Brinkman is the widest player on the football field. And the guard standing a yard in front of him doesn't even lay a finger on him. And that's his only assignment. Because Brinkman had that quick, explosive step.
1: I mean, it was so true when we watched the film last year when we signed him. And we're like, whoa. (laughs) We're like, this guy's first step is elite,
0: like NFL elite. Yeah. He, He just isn't built like a superhuman. It's the height. He doesn't have the height. Like, if he had height, he'd be in the NFL. But they they don't like six foot, six foot no. one interior but, guys. But his
1: his, first, and for a guy his size, his first two steps are, I mean, it's all over the film. When, when he came, yeah. you're like, yeah. holy, he catches guys by surprise. They look at him, he looks like, you know, he's going to be sort of a two gapper and here we go. And then he he's past you, you know, like a,
0: you know, like an edge. Yeah, no, exactly. Anyway, it's well, we'll have to start wrapping things up here. But uh, yeah, what a, what a great, what a great trip that was for so many Argos fans that that made the journey out there. And thanks to you, you know, for all of you that were sharing the experience on Twitter for me to sort of follow along vicariously through you as you were enjoying booze cruises and and Parties on, on Argyle Street or whatever that, that main strip it is. It is indeed Argyle. It is Argyle, Argyle. But it looked like everyone had such a great time. And what a nice thing. After, after losing the first two touchdown Atlantics they played, the Argos have won two in a row. And I know that flight home probably feels a lot better. Argos fans after a big victory like that. Well, that will just about do it for us on this uh, post-game reaction episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.